This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network. Behind every memorable moment and career highlight on the diamond. And the Twins are baseball's world champion. Number 500 for Han Killebrew. Francisco Lariano has pitched a no-hitter. Gone! A walk-off for Chanel! And the Twins win it! Are the true gems, the inside stories and tales. I had zero idea what was going on. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm starting game one. Like, what is happening? Honestly, and it, it ended up being cooler that I hit a third triple than hitting the grand slam. But at the moment, I was mad that it wasn't a grand slam. I hit her into the seventh inning, and it got broken up by Joe hitting a single. We'll call it a very loose single. And you will find those candid, casual conversations here on the Twins Clubhouse Podcast. Now, here's Chris Atterbury. Well, welcome back inside the Twins Clubhouse and a very special edition of the Twins Clubhouse podcast. We won't be going down memory lane. It won't be a series of highlights with one of your former or favorite former Twins. Today, in fact, we'll be getting some insights into the goings-ons in the actual present tense Twins Clubhouse with General Manager Thad Levine. We're looking very much forward to that conversation brought to you by Quick Trip from premium meats like chicken chops and steaks to fresh produce and grocery Quick Trip has you covered when you're on the run. Quick Trip, proud partner of Twins Baseball. We now uh, bring in the uh, aforementioned Thad Levine. And speaking of on the run, a couple of new additions to the Twins family. Thad is Cody Stashek and his wife welcome in their first child. And Byron and Lindsey Buxton welcome Blaze Jet Buxton uh, into the Twins family. Are you kicking yourself for not dropping a Blaze Jet Levine in your uh, in your family tree? I think it goes without saying it's a little bit more fitting in the Buxton family to be named Blaze, uh, be an oxymoron here in the Levine family. But but really, uh, congratulations to, to to both of those families. You know, this is the organism that is a major league roster where, uh, you know, we all view these guys as superhuman, uh, and they really are on the baseball field without question. But outside of the baseball field, they go through the exact same uh, aspects of life that the rest of us do, and. Uh, this would have been right around the All-Star break or pushing up against it. I wonder if that was the planning for having two kids this time of year. Uh, I'm sure baseball wives are cajoled into trying to map their pregnancies to be convenient for their husbands. But nonetheless, really ecstatic for both those two families, two additions to the greater Twins family. Yeah, and just a on the two to eight grading scale, that is an eight baseball name. Blaze Jet is an absolute uh, home run of a baseball name. Uh, also, congratulations, by the way, uh, to the Duffies. Teddy Duffy uh, is the newest addition to their family who will be in Houston this summer. But it's the Twins Clubhouse show, Thad, and your clubhouse is now open, kind of. So I will start with a very literal question. What does the actual Twins Clubhouse currently look like, and how are you guys utilizing the entirety of Target Field uh, to get this summer camp uh, off and running in a safe fashion? Well, I guess just to encapsulate how much has changed, I would tell you, I don't know what our clubhouse looks like because I myself am not setting foot in it. I will tell you what I've heard from from the guys 
what we've done is we're utilizing the, the maximum extent of target field that we can. Our, our stadium operations group has done just a phenomenal job, has, as has our equipment management group, uh, clubhouse staff, to, to really spread the guys out. So right now, our pitchers are situated in our visiting clubhouse. Our position players are situated in our home clubhouse, and that allows for guys to be pretty well spread out, uh, adhere to the social distancing norms that we're supposed to. And then what the guys have been doing, by and large, is spending as much time outside the clubhouse as they possibly can. So on the concourse where fans are used to roaming and, and grabbing a bite to eat or a, refresh, or a refreshing drink is where we have our outdoor weight facility. And some of our training uh, facilities are now outside, out of doors, so that guys can work out with a little less concern of being very proximate to their teammates. Uh, the open air, I think, minimizes risks such as they may be. Uh, and so we, we are trying to implement uh, as much safety protocols as we possibly can. And in so doing, uh, we're using as much of the facilities we possibly can. The, the Champions Club is our new cafeteria for the players. And for those fans who have been blessed to set foot in the Champions Club, a really beautiful aspect of our stadium. It's a, a very spread out uh, facility and it allows for players to sit comfortably spread out, but, uh, but not so far away that they can't have communication and chat with one another and develop some rapport and some chemistry. Well, and that's a perfect leaping off point, Thad, because so much of this game is built on just that, the rapport, the chemistry. You ask anybody who retires from the game what they miss the most, and unilaterally the answer is always, I miss the camaraderie. I miss the relationships inside a clubhouse. How do you go about, and is this one of the biggest challenges, how do you go about fostering that in an environment such as uh, we are currently in? Yeah, and Chris, I'll add to your thought there, which I think is a really insightful one, is you know, when you're trying to win, uh, sometimes the competitive advantage that is on the margin that puts you over the top is that chemistry. It is that culture that the, the galvanizing moment that a group of, of players have together with their staff that puts them over the top in what will be a highly contested 60 game sprint to the finish line. Another element which is significant in impacting the culture is just the level of anxiety. Uh, you know, I think we've got to realize these guys are human beings. They have loved ones at home that they're thinking about. They have uh, grandparents or aunts and uncles who live elsewhere who may be visiting them at some point who may have some health concerns. Uh, these are all top of mind for players. So, you know, you, you would wish uh, in the ideal scenario when a, a player toes the rubber and ready to throw pitch one of a game that they're singularly focused on getting the opposing hitter out. I think we've got to realize that these guys are, have a lot more weighing on their minds than they typically would. Those things can impact the culture. So, I think you rely on a lot of your your veterans, but also your personalities in the clubhouse. Uh, we had an opening meeting with all of our players, and Nelson Cruz was uh, very stately. He didn't say a ton, but what he did say as a message was there are a lot of built-in excuses for teams throughout the major leagues this year. And if, if people don't fare well as teams or as players, you've got a built-in excuse. And he said, let's try to flush all those excuses down the toilet. Let's make sure we go out there and we – we either win or lose on our own merits, but it's not from us making excuses. And I think those are the types of speeches that band a group of people together. Uh, and in a time where chemistry is probably on a razor's edge, I think you feel blessed to have guys like Nelson Cruz and Josh Donaldson and Jake Odorizzi and Taylor Rogers and, and Rich Hill and so many others in our clubhouse who are able to really so positively impact players and, and keep them focused on what is most important here, which is, a, staying safe, and B, uh, putting our best foot forward to, to win the American League Central.
Yeah, and what I think is interesting is you mentioned some guys who were newcomers to the organization. I think Rich Hill pops to mind for me, who so instantly made an impact in the truncated spring training, uh, and now that has carried over into obviously what we're calling uh, summer camp here in advance of this 2020 season. Speaking of health, non-COVID edition, Rich Hill, Byron Buxton uh, are two guys who actually maybe physically on their bodies have benefited uh, from from the delay to the start of this baseball season. Where are they in terms of their their baseball activities, and are they all clear to go? Uh, you have to be some type of a sadistic optimist to say a, a silver lining to a pandemic, but I think you just identified it. Uh, we would have started the season without the services of Byron Buxton. Hopefully he would have joined us pretty early in the season. And we certainly wouldn't, we were not expecting to have Rich Hill services for the first two months, at least of the season. Well, now that we're going to be starting on July 24th, we expect to have both those guys in, in, in full. And I think that's a significant uh, boon for this team. We, we all know, uh, how much Byron Buxton means on the field. He's he's uh, proven to be, if not the best defender in the American League, certainly up there with the best defenders in the American League. He also is such a catalyst for us offensively. And for the fans that get to see this guy play, we know how infectious his smile it is. He, he electrifies the room uh, in a time where there will be a lot of trials and tribulations. Uh, Byron Buxton is the type of guy who can single-handedly elevate a room and I think those guys will be so, so much more valuable uh, than they typically are, which is extremely valuable on their own right. And in Rich Hill, I, I think what we experienced last year when we brought Nelson Cruz in, and this was somewhat of a, a thing that we learned on the fly, which was the sense of urgency guys like Nelson bring, guys like Rich Hill bring. They're, they're towards the latter phases of their career. Uh, these are guys who aspire to win championships and want to be able to retire with a ring on their finger the level of urgency they bring to the stadium each and every day, that today's the day we're going to win the next game. Uh, I think they're instrumental in in curbing any sort of slides teams have. Every team loses a handful of games a row each season, but sometimes uh, those types of veterans put their foot down and say, hey, it's not going to be more than two, three, four games in a row. We're not going to have an eight out of ten game losing streak where we, we kind of really fall back. This is the type of season where that could be really damaging to your chances of playing in the playoffs. The more guys you have in the clubhouse who have that level of urgency, the better. On top of that, Rich Hill, in our estimation, has really acquitted himself qualitatively as one of the better pitchers in the, in the major leagues. Now, we all know quantitatively he's had some injuries over the last couple of years which have curtailed his ability to, to pitch 180-plus innings. But when he has towed the rubber, this guy has been a formidable pitcher on the mound, a guy who you could envision – pitching in a, a playoff series against really good lineups. Uh, that's exactly how we hope to use him. He was supposed to be a second half, come to the rescue type guy. Well, the second half is upon us. He's ready to go. Uh, we are hopeful that he will be able to stay healthy through the 60 and then a deep run into the playoffs. General Manager Thad Levine, our guest on the Twins Clubhouse, as we are sneaking up, and it's happening fast, on the start of the 2020 season. You allude to the 60-game schedule. It is very different than your typical slog through uh, the entirety of 162 games. And uh, a type of schedule with a smaller sample size where, in fact, a 10-game losing streak could really be a hole in the boat that you wouldn't be able to repair in time. You guys look at every possible outcome you look at every possible way to find an edge you've got an incredible development staff that that models strategy and and whatnot are there different models now that you've had to put in place over a 60 game season 
And are there some things that have come out of those modeling that perhaps uh, wouldn't have been what you would have expected? Well, I think to, to, at the outset, I think this is where we are so truly blessed to have a team that is playoff caliber at the major league level, married up with a farm system, which is a top, however you want to categorize it, six to eight farm system in the, in the league. What that allows us to do is to have that next line of defense and the line of defense after the next line of defense, which I think we all in the major leagues are, are viewing as it's, it's not an if, but a when we're going to have to tap into those layers of defense to support our major league team this year, we're able to tap into players that we think are potential competitive advantages. And I'm not here to suggest they may not be a, an initial drop off from the major league caliber players we have, but we think over the long run, these guys are very capable of helping us realize uh, our dream for the 2020 season, which is to play deep into the playoffs this year. So I think that is a real, real nice support system uh, that our scouting director, Sean Johnson, our international crew headed up by Fred Guerrero and, and Rob Anthony, they've just done such a fabulous job of populating our system with high caliber players. And then Alex uh, Hassan and, and Jeremy Zoll and all the minor league coordinators and coaches have done such a tremendous job of developing that talent to put us in the position where we may not have a significant drop off from our tier A to our tier B to our tier C players in a season in which we anticipate we're going to have to tap into all three tiers. Secondarily, I think a lot has been kind of made of, of uh, the fact that Rocco Baldelli and his major league coaching staff uh, accompanied by his advanced scouting team and some of our minor league coaches have been really embroiled in uh, doing a lot of wear testing using outside of the park uh, the baseball simulation game. And one of the beauties of that game, as I understand it, is you are able to change your roster size. So you can you could wear test. What does it look like to start the season with 30 players, drop down to 28, and then ultimately drop down to 26? How would we deploy them? Uh, it allows you some flexibility to, to, to employ some of these extra inning rules and see what it looks like uh, to start a game with a man on second base in the 10th, 11th, 12th inning, and so on. And, and so I think we have done a lot of wear testing. You know, we, like so many clubs, are really trying to game plan. What does the shortened ramp up mean relative to how deep your starting rotation can go to start the season? It will be a real balancing act uh, between making sure that those guys are healthy and ready to go. You don't have a setback because any sort of 15 to 30 game disabled list placement for one of your starting pitchers is, is such a significance this year as it represents such a high percentage of the actual games you play. But we're juxtaposing that desire to kind of ease them into the season. That's kind of the rational approach versus the fact that we're only playing 60 games and those are some of our best pitchers and, and you're going to want to try to push them to be on the mound when the games are being decided. One thing that I think we have, uh, which puts us in a little bit of a competitive bright spot is the fact that we had a number of young starting pitchers that got their feet wet last year. Uh, Lewis Thorpe, Devin Smeltzer, Randy Dobnak to just name three of them uh, who came up and got, got a chance to pitch in the big leagues last year. Those guys, if everyone stays healthy, could walk into the season, <clears throat> excuse me, as our sixth, seventh, and eighth starting pitchers. That affords Wes Johnson, uh, Mike Bell, and, and Rocco Baldelli a lot of flexibility to make decisions early in the season where we don't have to overtax our starting rotation, but may be able to bring in guys who can give you two to five innings of length coming in behind them as, an, as a nice one-two punch. And so, therefore, will not put too much stress on our bullpen either a unit that really come down the stretch last year was a bona fide competitive advantage for the Minnesota Twins. 
And one that probably got better with uh, guys like Tyler Clipper joining that bullpen. You returned Sergio Romo to guys like May, Duffy, Taylor Rogers uh, in that uh, bullpen for the Minnesota Twins. Dad Levine, Twins general manager, is here in the Twins clubhouse. It's brought to you by Quick Trip. You mentioned the depth that, and obviously we're all kind of uh, swimming in a new pool this year in terms of how this is going to work. Your taxi squad will be across the river in St. Paul. A lot of talent there, as you mentioned, a lot of depth. My question, and I find this aspect of it maybe the most fascinating part of what's going on uh, in this very special and singular season. Uh, in years past, a guy in the minor leagues could play their way, literally force your hand as the general manager into the major leagues. Um, in a long season, you might give a guy who's struggling a longer leash. Have you thought about that from a roster construction standpoint? Because whether it's uh, Brent Rooker or a Trevor Lornick, mm-hmm. They don't have the competition to go out and swing their way into your uh, into your consciousness, as it were, to force the issue. Have you thought about will you be more likely to stick with what's been there or will you be quicker to pull the trigger because of shortened season? You know, I, I think there's so many obvious challenges that a pandemic imposes upon a major league season. I think you may have just illuminated one of the most glaring ones that people in front offices across the United States are thinking about today. Uh, rel- realistically, it's a juxtaposition against the fact that you have major league talent who are matriculating to become free agents on the season's end, uh, coupled with a player development system that isn't able to develop by and large at the same rate that you aspired them to develop. So the easy thing to look at is exactly what you were just talking about, which is how do they protect the major league team this year when they are not necessarily going to be able to play in games and have the same course of development that you'd see throughout the course of the season. That is a significant challenge for us. I think it magnified even more so by the fact that we've built a team here uh, that has a, you know, such a robust core of young players, but they are surrounded by this, what we believe to be, this stable of high-end quality veterans, quite a few of whom uh, come season's end will have matriculated to free agency. You know, you have this vision of some of these uh, minor league prospects, quite a few of whom, quite frankly, will be at at St. Paul this year and and developing to a certain degree. But you were hopeful that a lot of those guys who finished the year at AA last year, who played so very well together, both pitchers and position players, would have earned their way to AAA this year, maybe would have gotten September call-ups at the end of the Mm -hmm. season. It would have been very logical replacements for some of those free agents who left. Now we'll be left with a season that absent of their ability to kind of force their way into the major league scene, we will not see them playing games. We will not see that matriculation from double A to triple A and then ultimately the graduation to the major league level. So it will take some uh, leaps of faith on our part. It will be a far from a conventional process where, you know, we're not formulaic. Uh, We do uh, respond to performances of players but there is a player plan for each and every player in our system and to gain a graduation from one level to the next and to have consideration from the major league level we like to see a percentage of their player plan realized on the field first so that we can put them in the best position to succeed in the major leagues now obviously injuries uh, sometimes force your hand to to fast track guys to the big leagues but if things go to plan uh, you want to give the player as much of a foundation to success as you possibly can that foundation is defined by our minor league coaches and the players uh, in concert with them. Uh, we will not be able to necessarily achieve all that, but that's where 
We're challenging our minor league coaches, whether it's at St. Paul or ideally down the road, if we can reopen Fort Myers, we're going to have as many dynamic, aggressive programs being run so that we can try to simulate as best we can some of those gaps we're losing today uh, from the minor league season, not including games. Yeah, and I would argue that the developmental infrastructure from the people that you've put in place to the systems they've implemented is one of the great strengths of this organization, which makes it even more fascinating to me for guys maybe who aren't even in St. Paul, the guys who were, were number 61 to 70, you know, who were on the cusp of a major league career who currently have no place to play, even a first-round pick like Aaron Sabato from this year who has nowhere to go in the current time frame. I know you guys are keeping close eyes on them. What are the rules and regulations, though, Thad, in terms of, hey, what if you come to the trade deadline and you can pick up an impact player off another major league roster and they want to trade for somebody who is literally not even playing for you right now? Is that all still part of the cards? And could you acquire a player from another roster and legally put them on your taxi squad, as it were. Yeah, so so you, you highlighted a few additional challenges we have this year. And one thing, just to be clear for our fans, we do have a 60-man roster right now that is, is is servicing as the group that we can draw from to play at the major league level this year. Uh, I hope the fans understand that that isn't necessarily directly in line with how we value the players. They're players who are not in St. Paul, not in target field, who we value very highly. You just highlighted one of those, Aaron Sabato, uh, who we just drafted this past year from the University of North Carolina. Uh, but what we're really trying to accomplish is a meld of our top-end prospects, but also the, the players who are most capable of supporting a major league team in a season in which we're just not sure how many people we're going to have to tap mm -hmm. into. To address your specific question relative to making a trade throughout the course of the year, uh, the one kind of caveat in trades is you can only trade players who are on your 60-man protected group for another team's player who is on their 60-man protected group. So uh, it is my understanding that the easiest trades to conduct are players who are on each team's respective 60-man group. But if you have space on your 60-man group, if you're at 57, 58, or 59, or something of that ilk, you could actually promote a player who is not on your 60-man group to your 60-man group then subsequently trade that player, and then the other team would have to uh, keep that player on their 60-man group for the duration of the season. There certainly will be some uh, rules-based restrictions to, to trades this year, and then there will just be some uh, just atmospheric restrictions. I think we just don't have a great sense of, in a 60-game sprint to the finish, how much will teams truly give up uh, and how many true sellers will we have, yeah. uh, you know, 30, 35 or whatever games it will be into the season, give or take, when we have the trade deadline on August 31st, uh, it's going to be tough for a team to view themselves as mathematically out of it. You know, it will be, uh, you know, only about 55, 60% uh, through the course of the season, rather than the two thirds we're used to, where there's a lot of more clear markers as to how you are competitively. Yeah, it is a, it's a fascinating dynamic, and it's new ground for everybody to trot upon. And obviously, communication is going to be key because, that if you've got to tell a kid who was, as you mentioned, a double-A player last year, maybe made it up to triple-A, and now you've got to tell them they don't have a place to play, but they're still somebody you value, and they're important to the organization. And, and I'll say this, our ownership has been so good about taking care of the minor league players uh, I think a comparative across the league and uh, and doing the right thing by them.
Those are hard conversations to have, though, aren't they, to say to a to a young man who felt like this might be a year that he finally was going to realize his dream that, hey, sorry, you're going to have to keep playing, you know, long toss in the park. It's 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 such a delicate process, you know, the, the kind of the science of the exercise is really putting together that list that you think can support the major league team as best you can. The, the art form is having the conversations you just you just referenced in which you're telling a player uh, that we still care about you. We still see a bright path of, for your future. Uh, but also you're not one of the 60 right now and, and kind of combining those two messages and hoping that they hear both sides of the coin there. The other group, which, you know, I think probably goes a little bit overlooked, uh, but should be equally discussed is the coaching staff. Yeah. Uh, you know, due to the restrictions, there's a finite number of coaches that we can have uh, support our major league team at target field, support our taxi group at, you know, over at CHS field in St. Paul, and, and that's for very, very clear health reasons. And obviously we are hundred percent supportive of that. Uh, the challenge for us is in, in front offices is that leaves you calling extremely talented coaches and also sharing with them uh, that they're not part of the initial group. And, and I'll tell you, Chris, I think what we've found in some of those conversations is those may be more heartfelt than even the players side of things, because uh, you know, I think the, the, the coaching staff is aware that there could be a truncation in the, the minor leagues heading into next year. They just saw a draft that saw far fewer uh, players enter the system. And so, you know, as much as you referenced, the Polad family has been so magnanimous uh, in their support of the staff. Uh, insecurities are, are a human element and people start ascribing some of these decisions uh, they start ascribing some really negative uh, dominoes that could be falling in the future. So, you know, that's where Alex Hassan and some of his coordinators and, and myself, we, we've gotten on the phone with a lot of our coaches to try to reestablish our faith in them and how much we value them against the backdrop of what was an artificial decision that had to be made that I think they think could be reflective of their standing in the organization. And that's not limited to minor league guys. You had to have uh, what I imagine were very difficult conversations with both Bill Evers and Bob McClure. And, you know, those are two gentlemen who have had a meaningful impact on this franchise in the short time they've been here. Uh, They have had as storied careers as anybody in our whole organization. And they have real personal relationships with a lot of us. And the benefit here was the strength of their personal relationship with Rocco Baldelli Mm -hmm. and Rocco reached out to them personally uh, had a, I think, a true heart-to-heart conversation with both those guys. He, he was not leading with his head. He was leading with his heart. And at the end of it, I think, while both gentlemen were very disappointed that they couldn't be part of the season, uh, we tried to impress upon them that they still will be from a, a bit of a distance. Uh, and that is, you know, as the season unfolds, with you know, there may be other opportunities for them to get more involved. But at the outset, we care too deeply about them uh, to put them in any sort of heightened harm's way, just relative to the amount of unknowns that we collectively have about how the pandemic is going to impact us when we all get back together, you know, regardless of the measures we take. So those were two very difficult conversations. I think this is where, as an organization and as a fan base, you're blessed to have a guy like Rocco Baldelli. Uh, at the helm, somebody who has forged real personal relationships with the people he works with and whom is cap- you know, a person who is very, very capable of connecting to somebody's heart uh, rather than dealing with these things very clinically, which I think could have gone a very different way if that's how he had approached it.
And you mentioned Rocco and his ability to to muster support in a room and to bind a room of people together. We saw the impact of that last year. And obviously this will be a challenge for all managers and staffs and, and players for that matter, dealing with a unique situation. But Rocco would seem to have a specific set of communication gifts uh, that would, would suit him in dealing with something this unexpected. Well, and I, I would also tell the fans, and because they may not know this about Rocco, but he he has very few rules when it comes to the team. You know, it's it's respect the game, respect one another, prepare for the game, and have a lot of fun when you're out there, and make sure the fans know you're having fun, and the other team does too. Ideally, when we're when we're beating their batutuses, uh, <laughs> my my word, not his. But I, but so when I when he stood up in front of the room this year wearing wearing a mask when he did it and expressed the need for us to be vigilant as a group, I think it really uh, struck a, a major chord with the players because he's not the type of guy who levy, levies uh, unnecessary rules and regulations on the players. He doesn't restrict them in any way, shape, or form. So when he asks them to step up and be a little bit more vigilant and convicted in their commitments to, to staying healthy and, and to the general health of the entire team, I, I think that really is something – uh, that resonated with our players, and, and so far, so good. Uh, we'll see how it goes. I know everybody's view of being safe is a little bit uh, personal to them. Uh, we are just trying to do our best as a team uh, to respect each other and, and trying to make sure we don't fall prey to you really, in these instances, only as strong as your weakest link. And so I think we're trying to be attentive to who those players may be and just making sure we continue to educate them and give them the opportunities to raise our floor. That so many of the questions and probably some we've even discussed today here at the Twins Clubhouse have to do with what this version of baseball isn't or what it lacks or what's different from what has become the norm over the course of all of our lives and, and going longer than that back into baseball history. Is the team that can focus first and foremost and solely on what 2020 post-pandemic or mid-pandemic baseball is as opposed to what it is not? Is that the team that has the the best chance to succeed? I think you just encapsulated the message that Nelson Cruz tried to give to the, the team, uh, which is, you know, in, in, in life, certainly in baseball, but in life, globally speaking, the gifted people are the people who have a, a little bit better insight as to understanding what they can control and doing the best they can in the context of what they can control and spending as little as few minutes of their waking day on things that they can't control. Well, this year, the, these guys are going to be absolutely inundated with things that they cannot control. They'll be forced to the, the forefront and asked questions about uh, very regularly from teammates, from fans, from loved ones, from media. Uh, the more that they can push those things aside, uh, the only thing that will be the same is once we get in between the lines, uh, it's 27 outs and it's the team who has more runs on the scoreboard at the end of the 27 outs who wins. Uh, I am hopeful that with the messages uh, led by guys like Nelson Cruz and some of our other veterans on our team, that our guys will be able to keep their focus there. Uh, I do think there will be tons of distractions. I think that's human nature. I think we're going to have to help our guys through the distractions. No team's going to be perfect. We certainly will not be. But if we're a little bit more attentive to some of the stresses and anxieties that our players are feeling off the field, we may be able to address them before they get on the field, such that when they're on the field, their singular focus is winning that night's ball game. Part of that focus, and I don't know if there's been discussion, is that 
they'll be playing in a bit of a vacuum, obviously, without fans. And you hear pitchers primarily talk about, you know, picking up a couple miles per hour of adrenaline and the, the, the crowd that can lift you up and how much fun it is to play in a big stadium in front of a lot of people. Now, most of these guys have played in the minor leagues, and in a lot of minor league spots, I can attest, they will be used to playing in fairly quiet buildings. But is that an element that you're still fiddling with in terms of just that mental adjustment because there is an there is a tangible feeling of a full ballpark on the cusp of first pitch? And even before that, uh, before fans are in the building, when you can smell the popcorn, when you're taking BP, when the, the traffic is starting to flow uh, in the neighborhood around the ballpark, and a lot of that will be absent. Well, we've talked about some of the drag that will be on your performance relative to the anxiety you may feel and the distractions you may experience when you're on the field. Now you're, now you're highlighting the other element that doesn't potentially allow you to realize the full performance level you're used to, which is the spirited nature of the crowd. Uh, you know, whether it's the home team fans cheering for them, or quite frankly, the visiting teams fans uh, cheering against them, uh, players are, are highly motivated by those engagements from the fans. So I think we're going to have to find another way to motivate ourselves. And I, I do believe the, the one thing that we are going to be able to employ is that we, we had a very, very great season last year. It was, it was a storied season for a tremendous franchise, 101 game, uh, 101 win season. But then we, we, we did not win a game in the playoffs. I think there's a, a real uh, sour taste in these guys' mouths about that. I think that is going to help motivate them. Uh, their goal is not simply just to get to the playoffs. We don't feel entitled to get to the playoffs. We still have to uh, beat the American League Central foes, uh, most of whom we felt this offseason got stronger. So I think that's going to be a motivating factor. That out-of-town scoreboard is going to have to serve for us as a driving uh, force to fuel our tanks and, and to, to, to motivate our players night in and night out and, and maybe fill that void that we don't see from, from the fans. You know, we've seen it every single year in the game that I've been involved where you have a team hovering around 500 come the trade deadline who then ends up playing in the playoffs. Well, you're not going to be able to get off to that type of malaise of a start. Uh, you're going to have, you know, you're going to have to put together two back-to-back significant months to play in the playoffs this year. So I think that sense of urgency, that sense of, looking over your shoulder at the out-of-town scoreboard in the outfield and understanding uh, what what's happened in the rest of our division this year. What, what does the wild card uh, landscape look like outside of our division and being constantly cognizant of that and trying to always punch and not only just counterpunch this season. Yeah, and you mentioned that. That leads to schedule. The fact that you won't see teams outside of your division, aside from some National League clubs, boy, that could make the playoffs uh, a, a real can of worms uh, because there are going to be some surprises there because there will be no familiarity having not seen guys over the course of a season. Well, and, you know, we talk about controlling your own destiny, and we won't necessarily be able to do that perfectly this year. Uh, the one way you can is by winning your division. That That's the best way to get in the playoffs and not leave it to the the vagaries of the wild card process. But you're absolutely right. You're not going to be able to weigh your, your merits against some of the best in the American League. Uh, but you're also not going to necessarily be able to knock down other wild card contenders mm-hmm. by beating them in a given night. So uh, there will inevitably be a time at which, you know, if, if you're blessed to get in the playoffs, your first appearance against that team will be in the playoffs. You could play multiple series like that in the playoffs, which is so unique. And then you also hearken back to as recently as last year, 
when the Seattle Mariners got off to a 13-2 and start. That was not a team that had expected to play in the playoffs or projected to play in the playoffs. Uh, I'm not suggesting there'll be exactly that type of scenario this year, but most seasons do have a team uh, that comes out of nowhere at the beginning of the season, gets off to a bit of a quick start. Usually we have a team that is projected to play in the playoffs who gets off to a slow start. Those types of starts could be a little bit more damaging or enlightening to teams this year, considering the shortness of the season. Yeah, it's going to be really fun to watch, and it gets underway here very, very shortly. Uh, I'll close with this, that have you had a moment yet, or do you anticipate the moment where in the course of your daily business uh, you see something, witness something, or a part of something between the lines that causes you to forget that this is pandemic baseball and just uh, seems normal, seems natural as compared to your long, long time in this game, whether it's the sound of a, the ball off the bat of a Nelson Cruz, whether it's a, a nicely turned double play. Have you had that moment yet, or do you anticipate that moment, or is it all just going to be seen with new eyes? You know, I, I wish we could share each of these experiences with the fans. Uh, I, I've been blessed to be uh, what is called a Tier 2 uh, entrant into our clubhouse, and so I'm able to go to our workouts, uh, albeit sit in the stands, no different from a fan, and, and watch the guys work out and you know, just to reveal how much of a baseball junkie I am, every element that you just described uh, transcends all that it, all the negative that is swirling around our, our country right now. Getting to watch the uh, the pitchers cover first base on bunts, watching Nelson Cruz hit home runs in the, in the second deck, watching Max Kepler uh, uh, tracing down balls in center field, uh, doing drills with, with uh, our outfield coach, Tommy Watkins. It's just Every element of it is so invigorating to me. And, you know, even the little things, the, the camaraderie you see between the players, you know, they're not, they're not hugging one another and they're not doing a lot of high-fiving. They're even standing a little further apart than you're used to, but you, you can see their, their energy and their enthusiasm. And uh, for the rare moments on the field where they're able to take their masks off, you see smiles on their faces. And so it's that type of thing that brings you back to the ball field. The things that we all remember as kids when we were sitting with our our parents or our grandparents and sharing the, those initial moments in a ballpark, the subtleties of the game. Uh, th- those are all things that light me up and get me so energized. Uh, once we get off this uh, podcast today, I'm going to head into the stadium. We have our first uh, kind of simulated game uh, inner squad tonight, a uh, couple innings, and I'm, I'm, I couldn't be more excited about it. And, and that's, I guess, just reflects how, how much we've all missed baseball. Well, bring your glove and I hope you catch a home run. You'll have, to sit, I, I will. you'll have to sit in the upper deck. <laughs> yes, exactly right. I definitely will. I'll have my umbrella hat on to shield me from the sun, and I'll have my glove in hand. Yeah, uh, That's a great way to wrap it up, Thad. I know that uh, it's weird because we just started summer camp, but we're already closing down summer camp as well. Looking forward to ramping up and facing those White Sox here in a couple of weeks. We appreciate your very unique and uh, eloquent insights into what's been going on. Some of the balls you guys are juggling in the front office, uh, some of the unknowns and some of the knowns. And again, like you finished with some of those emotions uh, and joy being chief among them that are coming back to Target Field. Uh, and hopefully now we can spread beyond target field uh, in the days to come. Appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us here on the Twins Clubhouse. Well, thank you very much for having me on. I hope everyone stays safe. Uh, I, I hope everyone gets to experience that feeling of being electrified on July 24th when we open the season, and then ultimately we can all uh, reunite in target field at some point, ideally later this season, and, and celebrate a team that, that could be really special this year.
Twins General Manager Thad Levine is sponsored by Quick Trip. From premium meats like chicken chops and steaks to fresh produce and grocery, Quick Trip has you covered when you're on the run. Quick Trip, proud partner of Twins Baseball and bringing you this edition of the Twins Clubhouse, which is now open for business. Whether you joined us across our fine network of affiliates today or you're podcasting us wherever you get your Twins podcast, I want to thank you for joining our conversation with Thad Levine right here on your home for Twins Baseball. This has been a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.